Anybody know anything about Emperor Constantine? Caleb. He ended persecution of Christians in the Roman Empire. Ooh, very good. How do you learn that? I'm taking a history class right now. Okay. Means that he was covering the Roman Empire. Okay, awesome. So he brought persecution of Christians to an end. Why? Did you give any, any reasons why? Rosie. He had a dream. He had a dream. I forget exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but he it convinced him to convert to Christianity. That's right. Yeah, he saw so he saw a vision. He had a dream and he saw a vision of something. And it was it was a a, a, a key row, right? Uh, the Greek letters. Some some think it's like this, but uh, I can just spell it like this. We don't know. Um, you've seen this churches, ancient churches, right? This kind of symbol there. So uh, he saw this symbol, and uh, happens to be the first two letters of the name Christ in Greek. Um, and so he saw that vision, and it was going to give him inspiration to win a battle, and he won the battle. Right? And so, so he ends up becoming, as far as we know, the first emperor, Roman emperor, who becomes, converts to Christianity. Converts to Christianity. So he stops the persecution of Christians. He does it, as sometimes some people say, he made Christianity the legal religion of, like, the official religion of the empire. That's not true. It's more like he just made it not illegal. He made it not illegal. That's different than saying it's the official religion of the empire. That's, that's not what that happened. Um, so uh, Constantine was the first constant. And so he's got referred to as Constantine the Great. You can see his, those are his years uh, alive there. I think his reign started in about 310. So Emperor Constantine uh, becomes a Christian. So you have less persecution that is happening officially uh, in uh, in churches. And you also have an influx, which strangely, you have an influx of unbelievers into the church because they're like, ooh, there's some <coughs> protections if I can be a part of, uh, of Christianity. So, um, so let me give you a couple of the key places here. Key cities to keep in mind at this point in Christianity. First one there you can see is Antioch. Antioch is, um, you, you see this in the New Testament, um, the believers in Antioch. It's kind of over by the coast of Israel, the northern part of the coast of Israel. The next city there is Alexandria. Alexandria, which is in Egypt. That becomes... Both Antioch has kind of a major theological center for Christianity, and Alexandria becomes another one, too, in Egypt. And so there's usually referred to, we don't get into this tonight, but there's kind of two schools in the first couple of centuries of Christianity, the, the Antioch school and the Alexandrian school. Uh, so that's in Egypt. And then another city to know is Byzantium, what's, uh, which gets its name changed to what? <coughs> Constantinople. Do you know that song? Oh, absolutely. Yes! <laughs> I was going to suggest that, that song. Who is it? Uh, they might be giants. They might be giants. Brandon, you know what? They might be yeah, giants. Yeah, yeah. They weren't the original. They didn't no, write it, the though. Original, they didn't write that? Who did no, that? It was like from the 20s or something. Really? Yeah. Istanbul. 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 Constantinople. Long time gone. Constantinople. Why did Constantinople get the works? There you go. Constantinople. 
um, they would have uh, elders, too, that would be a part of the church. They would be called presbyters, which is the big word for, for elder. Um, but usually there were, at this point, they would have kind of a, a one figure who was the one, uh, the head over each local church. And that would be called a bishop. So they kind of are separating those two terms. In the New Testament, those terms are synonymous with the same group. So it's kind of a, a, a little bit, by this point um, in church history, it's kind of like the bishop is like the um, first among equals. They're all equals in a group, but he's kind of the main, the main teacher and those kind of things. So bishops and then presbyters. Yeah. What does bishop mean? Like, like, like where does that word come from? Uh, where it comes from in English, I'm not sure. The Greek word is um, episkopos, and it means overseer. So when in your ESV where it says overseer, um, if anyone is looking for seeking for the office of overseer, he seeks a noble task. That's episkopos. The uh, the other term is um, pre presbyter. Which means L. It means just an old. It's an old man. That's basically what it means. Uh, and usually in Jewish synagogues, they would just have the elders. It'd be just the older, more wise, respected individuals of the community would be the elders. So um, those are used interchangeably. We start, we did a. I don't remember what sermon I did. Those and shepherd are all used interchangeably in the New Testament. So. Um, but uh, yeah, so that answers your question. So that I, I bring that up uh, because that's going to factor in here in our story. So Bishop of Alexander, he held to fairly uh, orthodox views. Um, he taught the distinction between uh, he taught that um, Jesus was God, taught that God the Father was God. And so, um, what was the main issue last week, in last week's lesson, on the relationship between the persons of the Father and the Son? What was that main view called? Or what was the guy called? Or what was the view called? Julia. Sibelius? Yes, Sibelius. Thank you. And so what did Sibelius teach? Huh? <laughs> one God, but... Um, yeah, he was one God because he was a monarchian, right? Yeah, monarchian. Monarchian. So God was Jesus, but it was actually God. Jesus was actually God, but... They changed forms. Yes, yes. So God shows up as Father, but then He showed up as Jesus, yeah. and then He shows up as the Holy Spirit. So He was that they call it modalism, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Alexander he wasn't teaching modalism. He wasn't a Sabellian, but he did teach and preached on the fact that um, that God the Father and God the Son um, are two uh, are are one God. Okay. And that the Son, in particular, was God. 
he had uh, a young priest that was a presbyter in his church, and it was overseeing the uh, school of uh, the exegetical school. So as they would bring in trainees to train them to read the Bible and read the scriptures and study the scriptures, um, he was he was brought in. He was a presbyter in Alexandria, where Alexander was the bishop. And he started to criticize the bishop's sermons and started to write against his own bishop's uh, theology. That was who who was criticizing? Uh, this young, young, energetic guy named Arius. Arius. She said he's the heretic. He is the heretic, yes. 256 to 2. 30 to 336. Um, error. Actually, my wife, when I tell my wife, she goes, is that like Aryan? Like, is it the Nazi Aryan race? I'm like, no, no, no. That's A-R-Y-A-N. Yeah. Uh, this is Aryan. He would had a group of followers called the Aryans. Or Arianism. Arianism. And so what uh, Arius taught was a little suspicious that um, this his own bishop Alexander sounded a little too maybe a little bit too Sabalian and he wanted to stress the idea there really is only one true God so he was kind of a monarchian um, and he taught about Jesus's deity that yes he is divine he is a God He's just a little lesser than the true God. He is God, but he's just a little under the true God. Yeah, just a little under the true God. And here is, here's his reasoning why. Again, kind of, this is a little bit of the influence of Platonism, mental Platonism. Um, God is perfect. The one true God, the, the monarch, is perfect and he is immutable. Anybody know what immutable means? Unchanging. Unchangeable. God is unchangeable. And so uh, if God cannot change and Jesus is the son of God, if he, if he is God, then the essence of who God is, the true God, had to have changed somewhat in order to come into the world. And so he rules that out. He says, no, but our, we know that our God cannot change. Therefore, Jesus can't be the one true God because he's changed. He's no longer, um, you know, unseeable, omnipresent everywhere. He came as a human person. So he has to be God, but in a lower form of some kind. And he would even argue that Jesus is actually a created being. He was created before the foundation of the world, but he is, um, but he is nevertheless the first creation of God. Now, where would he get that? Can you think of one of the scripture verses for that? I think we read this. Yeah, we did. What's that? Where would he get which specific part? The idea that he is a created being. Uh, the only begotten Son, maybe. Oh, be, yeah, that's a good, 
That's a good point. The all of the begotten passages mm -hmm. were um, so John chapter one, John chapter three sixteen. They're on the back here. Yeah, John three sixteen, first John chapter four, verse seven, uh, are all good ones. And there it is right there uh, on the Arian passages on the back. Colossians one fifteen. Anybody want to open that up and read Colossians one fifteen? Son is the image of the invisible God. He ranks higher than everything that has been made. He ranks higher than everything that is, that's ever been made. Yeah. What tra what translation is that, by the way? This is not a criticism of the translation. I just want to know which one. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it, so if I read it, see it's another back. And it doesn't because it, it's expanded. Oh, okay. So if I read it in. All of oh, the possible it's got things. The things. Okay. I just read what is like. I think it goes back to the ESV, maybe. I don't know. But if I read all of it, it says the sun, who is in the image of or exactly like the visible representation of the invisible God, he ranks higher than or literally is the firstborn of or over everything that has been made. Yes. All of creation. There we go. Okay, that's the word I was looking for. Is the firstborn part? That's like the Amplified Bible. Yeah. Where they take, if there's uh, various meanings of words, yeah. so, um, yeah, that's that can be very helpful because it could show you that there's terms that have a wide semantic range mm -hmm. um, in, in it. The downside is not every use of the term has carries with it all the wide semantic range in there. So, um, <laughs> but that's still a useful tool to figure out all of the different possible ways that those are meant there. So that is an actual. So that's called the expanded Bible. They used to have something like that when I was a kid called the Amplified Bible, where it just they put it in brackets and they put all the different words in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. Okay. So yeah, the word I was looking for was firstborn. What did it have there next to the word firstborn? Around it. I'm actually glad you read because it had all of the versions in there. Um, I think the the way that they, the most. I don't remember from the in beginning if it says like the most common way of translating it is he ranks higher than, but literally the... Ranks higher than, okay, yeah. But literally it is the firstborn. Yeah, okay. The firstborn of or over. So, yeah, the, the Greek word there is prototokos. And that we, we talked about this last week, I think, right? Firstborn. Did we talk about, did we read this passage last week? Um, or do you, I think you read Psalm 89 last week when we talked about who was the firstborn, David, because um, David is called my firstborn, and then you're like, wait a second, he wasn't the firstborn born, he's like the eighth, right? Because um, firstborn, uh, it's usually word used, <laughs> usually understood to mean, well, the one who was born first, the one who has priority and rank in the, in the home because of the, a practice, an ancient practice called... Uh, I'm not sure how he pronounces primogeniture. Have you heard this? How do I say it? You're my default pronouncer. Primogeniture, right? So the firstborn gets the highest rank of um, the inheritance and those kinds of things. The firstborn is the highest rank in the family. So it usually, we translate it in English as firstborn, because that's kind of the meaning of the two words put together. 
but it it doesn't necessarily mean firstborn. It 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 doesn't necessarily mean chron, uh, um, priority uh, sequence in sequence or chronology. It means priority uh, or supremacy in rank. So it's not priority in time. It's supremacy in rank. Um, that's what's kind of the underlying idea there. Nevertheless, Arias and his followers goes, well, he's the firstborn of creation. And they took that, they interpreted that to mean he's the first created thing. Before God created the heavens and the earth, he created his son. Any questions on that so far? Are all these guys still working off like the blueprint at this point, yes. At this point in the East, yes. All of these, um, um, the, the Latin is used a little bit in the West. And by West, I mean like Rome. Um, but yes, Greek would primarily be the language that they're referring to here. Yes. Or use, utilize. There's two pronunciations. Yes. Primogeniture and primogeniture. Primogeniture and primogeniture. Okay. That's sick. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the Wikipedia pronunciation things with all the different characters? You know, like Rosie could read that. She could read wow. that stuff. <laughs> it's not hard. <laughs> it's not. Oh, that is really hard. <laughs> uh, okay, so Aria start that. Hey. Jesus is divine. He's not the true God. He was created. He is the created being. Okay? So Alexander, obviously this creates a bit of attention. He starts preaching sermons against what his presbyter is teaching in the classes and writing about. He's preaching in sermons and writing about it. And Arias is kind of rallying the crowd. It's kind of putting up a revolt against his own bishop. Finally, Alexander decides to write to a bunch of the other bishops in the area. It kind of makes a synod. It brings them all together, and they present the issue here. And he gets Arias expelled from his church. This is about 318, 318 uh, uh, BC or AD. Um, and so Arias gets expelled from the church, but he gathers together a couple of friends of his, which are mentioned there in the handout. Um, Eusebius, Bishop of Nicomedia. Okay, so he goes from here to Alexandria to uh, all the way up here to uh, Nicomedia to hang out with his friend Eusebius. And then uh, Theogonus, Bishop of Nicaea, which is right here. So these three are Arians. They had a larger group of followers, but those three were the main Arians, and they're writing and they're teaching and they're spreading this idea that Jesus, yes, you could call him divine, but he's a created being. There was a time when the Son was not. Right? That's what he, that's one of their slogans that they would say. They actually even uh, picture like an Antifa rally or like with banners and stuff like that. They actually were doing that. We would be marching through the streets with banners and signs promoting the, these ideas. <laughs> Crazy to think about. Like, don't you guys have other things to do? Like, grow your own food? <laughs> but I, I have a quick question. Yeah. It's like uh, Cain and Abel, uh, when Eve says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, is that the same word as 
Yeah, that was translated in Greek from Hebrew. A God and a man. By the when she bare birth came. Because she, because yeah. she's promised the Christ, right? Like basically. Oh. So she's saying, I. She thinks that she's born of a son that's gonna bring him back to the garden, basically. Oh, but yeah. You know. I don't think that that's the word there. Okay. It, it occurs in the uh, in um, the Old Testament a couple places. One of them is that one we mentioned in Psalms eighty nine. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know about that. I, I don't think that that's. No, I think so. This is gotten so. Which Cain sounds like gotten in quite a less Hebrew. Yeah. So okay. oh, that's curious. Oh, so so, the, so this is what those guys are doing. They're up here to Nicomedia and uh, Nicaea, and um, but this is starting to spread all around the the world. And as a matter of fact, division is really breaking out here, all in these churches. There's a lot of the bishops in the this area that. They don't even know, you know, because there's no internet, there's no Twitter, there's no social media. They don't know what's going on. Uh, so some of them are not even aware of the controversy. But to the extent that they're writing and putting their influence around to these other churches, uh, they were starting to get some followers, and then they were getting some pushback, and it was really creating a lot of division. Well, at this point, at this point, Constantine has become a Christian, and so he's now being emperor over the entire um, empire. Um, he starts to, he becomes a Christian, and he realizes, like, uh, there's a big crisis in the church, the Christian church, in my empire, um, and I'm getting rumors that there's a whole bunch of division and uh, theological uh, warfare here. Uh, we, I need to do something about it. So he's very troubled by some of these reports, and he goes, you know what, let's pull together all of the bishops into, um, into a meeting and we're going to resolve this issue. And so they set it up to meet in Nicaea, by, by the way, um, who was being hosted by uh, Theognis, who's, who was an Arian, right? He's an Arian, and he um, he's, gets to, to host this thing. And so 318 bishops come, and they estimate out of about 500. So, you know, they had quorum, I guess. They had quorum. They had uh, 318 bishops show up for this, this uh, Council of Nicaea. Okay, this is the event. Council of Nicaea. <clears throat> Who's the hero? Oh, we got the hero? Did I skip the hero? Yep. Oh, okay. No skip. I don't want Rosie turning that over there. <laughs> okay, I totally go out of order. Um, so I'm going to erase Protagikos here, and then we're going to put, here's the hero. That's one of my favorite names to pronounce. Athanasius. Athanasius. He was, his nickname was the Black Dwarf. I don't know why. I don't know why. Like Nicobrick? Huh? Like Nicobrick? Nicobrick? Who's that? It's from uh, Prince Caspian, right? Oh. Oh, yeah. I think he's in, or just that one. Anyway. <laughs> he's from Libya. He's actually African. Uh, North African. But he's he's from uh, from Libya. So was he really short? And I think he must have been, he must have been dark skinned and short. I don't know. It might just be as simple as. Yeah. 
quacks like a duck. Don't get into it too much, but. Um, uh, the, the way that he is described, he's described as intense with like piercing eyes. Just an intense, you know, like you, you, you just had a, like a magnetism and an energy to him. Uh, but this nickname was the Black Dwarf. He actually becomes an assistant to Alexander. Okay, so he's not a bishop at this point. Um, I think sometime around the, the time when Arias is, um, is expelled, uh, we don't know exactly when, but Athanasius is a part of the church in Alexandria, and he's Alexander's assistant. And he's actually Alexander's personal assistant as Alexander goes to the Council of Nicaea. So Athanasius is at the Council of Nicaea. He's not there as a bishop. Though. Okay. He's at the Council of Nicaea. And so uh, Constantine shows up, and there's a big description of him coming in and his wearing gold and white and a purple robe, and he just says the, the lights are radiating off of him, and he goes to a high uh, little platform, and he you know, is seated there, and he's actually presiding over this. Um, here you have a secular emperor who is, who is a Christian, who confesses uh, to be a Christian. He was overseeing this council of Nicaea. So the yeah. emperor was there? The emperor was there. Okay. Oh yeah. He's the one who called it, right? He called yeah. the. Yep. He called this this uh, this council, and so he shows up. And he puts himself as as presiding over this council of bishops to resolve this issue, and they end up resolving like twenty other smaller issues. But the main issue was this issue about Arianism. Is Jesus created or is he eternally God? That's that's the main issue. Okay, so Council of uh, Nicaea. So Council of Nicaea lasts about two months. Let me make sure I get my notes here. Right. Uh, da, da, da. Yeah, two months, a couple of issues, Aaron controversy. Um, oh, by the way, Arias is not a bishop, remember? He's a presbyter, so he's not allowed, he's not invited to come. Uh, but his two buddies are. They're both bishops, and they are both there. And so at this, um, at this council, they decide, um, the, the Arians go, can we at least read our position? And so uh, the report is that Athanasius and Alexander were thrilled at this proposal. Yes, let everybody know what it is that you guys actually believe. And so they get up to read something. We don't have a record of what they had, what they what they read, but we do have a record of uh, other letters that they sent around. And so let me give you an example. This may be perhaps what they read. This is total speculation, but um, this is a snippet of what it is that they taught. They circulated in letters, and so it seems that hey, if we can give a proposal, if I make a proposal, can I just read to you uh, our position? And it would obviously reflect some of that. Okay? This is what Arias wrote sometime before this council in defending his position. We acknowledge one God who alone is unbegotten, who alone is eternal, who alone is without beginning, who alone is true, who alone is immortal, who alone is wise, who alone is good, who alone is full of power. It is he who judges all. 
who controls all things, who provides all things, and he is subject to no change or alteration. See, that's the main, that's their main argument. He is just and good. He is the God of the law and the prophets and of the new covenant. This one God before all time begot his only begotten son through whom he made the ages in the universe. Now, many of us today would read this and maybe not even really go, so what's the problem here? But Arius and Alexander recognized, uh, recognized the problem here. He begot him, not just in appearance, but in fact. By his own, he, will, uh, he made his son to subsist and made him unchangeable and unalterable. God's perfect creature, he is unlike any other creature. Just called Jesus a creature. Begotten, yes, but unique in the manner of his begetting. But we say that he was created by God's will before all ages. From the Father he received being and life. Mm -hmm. And in creating him, the Father conferred his own glory on him. Yet the Father, in giving all things into his possession, did not despoil him of them. He contains all things in himself in an unbegotten way, for he is the source of all things. Therefore, there are three substances. Okay? Three substances. So that's an example of what would, I, I would guess, that's a, what some people suggest. Maybe that's, that is what they're saying. He begins by describing the exaltedness of Jesus being divine and all of the things he has, but he's a created being. And he's not fully the true God. The reports of what happened at this, uh, when um, I believe it was, uh, I believe it was Eusebius who was reading this. As Eusebius was reading this, he's thinking, he's making his case. But the description was is that many of the bishops realized what was happening, and they literally covered their ears and started to shout them down. And as a matter of fact, one of them ran over, grabbed the letter, threw it on the ground, and started stomping on it in this church meeting. It got so bad that, uh, that Constantine had to stand up and like strike the gavel and get order into the whole place. Like, bring the guards in, hold on, separate these guys. Like, breaking out into a riot. Literally breaking out into a riot. And so, Arias and or Alexander and Athanasius, I think, are thrilled at this. They're thrilled at this point because now uh, a lot of the bishops thought, well, we don't see what the problem is here until they clearly explain that Jesus was not the true God. He's a God. He's God. He's a God. He's not the, he's not the true God. Because the true God can't change. And if Jesus... His coming into the world, he had, he's changing, and so he's mutable, and God's not mutable. So he can't be the true God. He could be a lesser form of it. Got it? Any questions so far? Okay, let's go through the, let's keep going through the list here. Um... So they ended up coming together uh, at this council of Nicaea in 325. Uh, this whole thing comes down to these moments. And it gets to a point after much fighting back and forth that Constantine goes, I want you to write up a creed. 
write up a creed explaining this position um, of the opposite group besides Arias. Because Arias, uh, he probably had the number of true um, Arians in the group numbered maybe in the dozens at this point. There were probably a lot of people that were on the fence, a lot of independents. Um, but after it became quite clear that uh, that the, the Arian position was not a winning position. And so I think whether they had their votes or election or whatever, uh, they, they determined that Arias was, was not teaching orthodoxy. He was going to be uh, excommunicated as a heretic, anathematized is the term. He was going to be anathematized. And Constantine said, write up a statement, write up a, a very brief summary of the position. The Arians wanted to only use scripture. But Athanasius goes, oh, hold on, that's a... You're, uh, we know what you're going to try to do. You're going to use scriptural words, but then you're going to infuse in them their, uh, a certain kind of meaning into it and slant it in a certain way. He said, no, we, we can't limit ourselves just to using scriptural terms. It's not a big issue. It could, that could be a big topic for us to discuss, but uh, that's not the main issue. He wanted to, to clarify, um, to spell out, even using un, uh, extra-biblical terminology, to describe the nature of, of God. So they wrote up a creed, and he used this word. This is a key word in it. Um, so this, the, is that next key term? Yeah. Okay. Hamausias. Uh, Hamausias. Okay. Let me. It's a lot of hoes. Huh? It's a lot of hoes. <laughs> That's right. There's a lot of. A lot of vowels. I mean, this is it's a that's a contract. Yes, or not a contract. What is that called? Diphthong. Diphthong. Thank you. Um, so uh, hamausias. This is uh, a compound word meaning hama means what? One. Man. Same. Yeah. Same. And usia means. Um, Substance or essence. Substance or essence. Same substance or essence. So they wrote up this creed with homoousios. And then they, let me add to you another key term um, that, is, uh, that is a part of this. Creed of 325. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, 
maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, of the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, both in heaven and on earth, who for us men and for our salvation came down and was incarnate and was made man. He suffered, and the third day he died, he rose again, ascended into heaven, from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, and in the Holy Ghost. Okay, stop there. And that's how it ends, right there, in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Holy Ghost only gets that one little sentence there. Um, and thinking through some of the past lessons on that really quick, why do you think that the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit only gets just brief mention right there? Wasn't in contention, right? Okay. Trinity wasn't, I mean, it was there, but I don't think they were talking about the Trinity at this point, right? Yeah, there, well, and this is the debate. They are talking about the Trinity. Right. Yeah, and. But I don't think the Holy Spirit was a, like a bone of contention. Yeah. At, at, yeah. I guess, I don't no, know. No, that's a, that's a pretty good guess. Yep. I, I think that's probably, I think that's part of it. Who was one of our heretics from a couple weeks ago? Montanus. Montanus. Yeah. What did, What was Montanus's her, uh, heresy? He was the Holy Ghost, right? Yes, exactly. So, so the Montanist heresy was kind of fresh in their minds, and they're like, okay, let's let's just focus on the Father and the Son, and the relationship between the Father and Son, and the eternity. Let's just mention the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I think that could be it. Like, hey, that's a little, uh, those are little raw wounds there. Let's not go dig into that too much. Perhaps. Perhaps. But, uh, but maybe, you know, that wasn't the topic. That wasn't the issue. So I just mentioned that. I believe in the Holy Spirit. They probably had that settled by then. Well, remember they didn't. There were some that they did excommunicate him locally, right. but there were still a lot of, remember Tertullian was. Yeah. He defected to Montanism, and he actually becomes kind of a Trinitarian hero. Even though he defects to the to the dark side there on the on the uh, the spirit uh, the whole the issue of the Holy Spirit, but it is just a brief and abrupt ending, right? But there's an addendum that's added to that. Anybody else want to read that? The anathema. For those who say there was a time when he was not and he was not before, he was made, and he was made out of nothing, or he was another substance or essence, or the same God who created, or changeable, or alterable, there. Yes. So, what are they making absolutely clear here? That this dude is anathematized, and all of his followers are anathematized. Right? So, this is the this is the Nicene Creed. That's the original Nicene Creed, three twenty five. That's the original version right there. It reads like a legal document. You know, where they're yeah. just trying to be so precise about exactly what they mean and exactly what they don't mean. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It does sound that way, doesn't it? The the repetition of all of those those sayings. Yeah, it's not this. It's not this. It's yeah. Not this. Which were that was basically a, a grab bag of all of Arius's slogans. Oh, okay. They were grabbing a lot of the the stuff that Arius would said, and they could see it because they would carry banners in the streets that said these things. 
there was a time when the sun was not like you know uh, that was a that was an issue so they're pulling from all of the ones they could give and like a good legal again it's being presided over by the emperor right it's like i want in concise language but specific language tell me what it is that is doctrinally correct and then we'll vote on it we'll have people vote on it when was the addendum added it was not added that was a part of the original nicene creed in 325. so why is it called addendum if it wasn't added <laughs> well i mean i guess that's a like is it yeah. I don't know. Like, maybe are they just saying this is a main body and then this is like an afterwards sort of? Well, a creed yeah. is, is a statement of what they believe, and that was the first part. And the second part isn't really stating what they believe, it's more it's clarifying what they don't believe. Yeah. yeah. I see. So, it's, yeah. so that's why it's part called of it, an I guess, addendum. It's, it's part of it, but it's not the key part. Yeah. It's kind of like the first part's the prosecution, and then the second part is the sentence for the people who have done you know you're out because of this you're out okay. if that i mean short <laughs> there are there are belief statements today that do that that have affirmations and denials yeah so it'll, it'll say this is what we believe and then we deny and then it will be to be really clear to the opposite that still is a practice used today so josh you had your hand. No, no question uh, so what we would call the catholic church exist in 325? Oh, uh, yeah. Good. Catholica uh, uh, is the Greek word for yeah, universal. Right, yeah. yeah, so it just means universal church. So, when it says Catholic there, think small yeah, c. Small, yeah. Small yeah. So, there is, so the, like, what we would think of as a big c Catholic church. So, what did it mean for them to be excommunicated then? Um, yeah. That, like, what did it look like? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, well, let me say this, and then we can kind of explore a little bit of what that looked like. They, they're pressed now to sign it, mm -hmm. or to, to agree to this or reject it. And all 318 minus 2 agree to it. So there's perhaps some that are, uh, there are some that are like, I'm just agreeing to, I mean, the emperor's here. You know, the emperor's here. I, you know, for me to keep my job, could be some of that. Um, I like think going along with the crowd because it's futile to join the two, even if they don't have a strong opinion on it. Perhaps. So there would have been excommunicated too if they didn't sign on to it. Yes, they. Yeah, if they didn't sign on to it, they'd have been excommunicated. Yep. So those two didn't sign on. These two did not. Yes, Eusebius. Uh, of Nicomedia and uh, Theognis of Nicaea, with the two, which is strange because there was a, you're, you're the host. <laughs> it's like everybody else is going to leave, and now I got to leave. Um, so yeah, I don't know exactly what it looked like, but I think that they would have been expelled from their their positions. Maybe they'd had to go and start, you know, uh, a rival thing. I'm not sure where their story goes after this, or how much longer they even lived after this. But that, yeah, that's a really, that's a fascinating question. But, I mean, this was an enforceable thing, and you could be, you would be kicked out, or you'd get expelled, or you could get relocated and sent away. And this, in this case, this is an anathema. This is pretty serious. 
This is not like, um, there's, there's a difference between an excommunication and an, an anathema. Right? The excommunication would mean, you know, ex commune, like you are disfellowshipped with us. You know, repentance or whatever, you could come back in. But anathema would be, we're anathematizing this, posi this position and everybody who has it is, is out. So yes, they would have lost their bishoprics at those churches. Well, and it's not even just that they were just out, right? They were cursed and yeah. considered damned. And so it was for people who would who would be associated with them, the message would be if you believe any of these things about the addendum, yeah. you too will be cursed to an eternal torment. Uh, that's the same. That's the same word that Paul uses in Galatians one, uh, when he says, "And even if an angel comes to you and proclaims to you a different gospel, let let him be eternally condemned." I think is the how the ESV has it. It's that word. It's basically you're anathematized. Yeah. So good questions. Any other questions? So was there debate between the two sides, or just a vote? Yeah, I'm giving you the real short, I mean, because this was a two-month process where they met um, nearly daily for two months. So there was presumably lots of debate. Going back and forth, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So the two people had more than enough opportunity to say, oh, yeah, I guess we're wrong. Right. Yeah. But these were the leaders, along with Arias. Those three were the three figureheads of this whole um, Aryan controversy. Yeah. Now, strangely, though, ironically, this this problem doesn't go away. This when this council breaks, uh, there's enough wiggle room in here in the statement that if you were a Sabalian, you you could kind of argue your way around some of this. Um, and so some of them, again, some of them signed it but continue to go and teach Arianish or Arian-like kinds of teachings, but in, in such a way that maybe they could, they could justify and say that they weren't. Mm -hmm. this, this controversy does not go away. Um, as much as Constantine wanted this to resolve it, it, it did not end up resolving it. So, um, so here's the two, the two issues, and this is what becomes kind of the standard Nicene Definition here is this: these two terms, uh, homoousios, same substance, and then hupo, uh, hupostasis uh, means um, uh, immutability. It means like consubstance. It's like you know, uh, a consubstantial. I think is the old English translations of these words of the same substance, but three consubstances. Subsistences. The Westminster Confession of Faith in their paragraph on the Trinity uses the word persons. The one we read last week, if you have your notes from last week, we read the paragraph and it says there's one God who eternally exists and three subsistences. They're trying to use that similar um, Nicene language to be very clear here. So basically when we say one, one God in essence but three distinct persons, this is what this is, what this is. Um, coming from here. 
The Latin words is, uh, it might be a little clearer as this gets translated into Latin, um, uh, is uh, substantia. We get, you can kind of get the word substance from there. Substantia, substantia. And then the other Latin word there is personae. So, one substance, three persons. Or one essence, three subsistences. Like I said, the teaching doesn't go away, and you have another heretic that basically is uh, goes on and uh, takes all of um, uh, Arias's teaching, and he's called Eunomius. Eunomius. So here's so here's Council of Nicaea, Eunomius, and then Eunomians would be his group of followers, which is basically repackaged Arianism. Now, why do I say this? Because this doesn't end up getting resolved until about 50-some uh, years later at the next main event. And let me just kind of walk through here some of the heroes. Here are the heroes. Um, I'll do this over here. You're saying eunomianism doesn't get resolved until... Uh, no, the whole issue doesn't get resolved. What, what the Council of Nicaea was supposed to resolve, it doesn't fully resolve the issue because there were some that were continuing to teach it. Uh, there were some that were trying to explain it away. Some would kind of would be Sabalian and kind of justify and say, well, yeah, but this means this. And they would be Sabalian or Arian? Sabalian and Arian. Both. Because okay. you could do, we can't get into that too much tonight, but you could. Uh, they, they were able to say, well, if you kind of understand this word this way or that. So uh, so here, let me show you, that's Eunomius uh, is basically repackaging Arius's, uh, Arius's teaching. And then you have some friends of Athanasius. And here are their names. Uh, Basil, D-A-S-I-L, of Caesarea. And then the two Gregories, Gregory and Gregory, Gregory and Gregory, Gregory of the names there, Caesarea, uh, Nazianzus, and Nyssa. Caesarea is in here too somewhere. Caesarea is like there's 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 Caesarea over here in Israel. There's also a Caesarea in the middle of Asia Minor. And it's all in this region of Cappadocia. So these are the Cappadocian fathers. Sounds like our mom. <laughs> yes. The Cappadocian fathers. Athanasius and um, and Basil are are two of the greatest theologians in church history. Widely regarded because of their formulations for the Trinity. They are, they're not perfect. They have, they have a couple of errors in their thinking too. That we would look at and go, uh, I, we would disagree with you on, on some of those things. But when it came to the Trinity, these, um, these are massive figures, massive figures in church history. 
Gregory and Gregory to a much uh, to a lesser extent. Uh, the Basil of Caesarea, Gregory of Nantes, and Gregory of Nyssa, they are that's where they were bishops. So all three of them end up becoming bishops. Uh, Gregory of Nyssa is actually brothers with Basil. He didn't really want to be a bishop. He was more of a poet. But they gave they kind of worked him and got him the job anyway. <laughs> So a couple things happen. Constantine dies in 337, uh, and actually Arius dies in 336, just months before, like six months before that. So Arius dies, uh, Eunomius dies about that time, and then Constantine dies in 337. And then Constantine has, uh, well, his successor is Constantius, C-O-N-S-T-A-N, Yes. Now, um, the followers of uh, Arius and uh, Eunomian, Eunomius, um, are still going around teaching and lobbying for their position, and they're doing so in the power and authority. They actually end up working their way into a peer, uh, for, uh, uh, place of influence with Constantius, and again. What was supposed to be resolved at the Council of Nicaea just is it, it didn't totally go away. So, so Constantius goes, he starts to rethink this a little. He's like, can we just change it? <laughs> can we just change the wording? And so he wanted, he lobbied to change the wording. Um, can we just say, can, can we just say this? Amoeusias? No. He just added a letter in it. He just added a letter. Yeah. Another vowel, though. Yeah. Another vowel, yeah. So you got four vowels in a row there, yeah. So how do you say this? Amoeusias? How do you say this? Amoeusias? Amoeusias. What does adding that little letter do? Why would he want to change it if it did nothing? Just one of those people. Weird out. <laughs> <laughs> so he doesn't like saying the O and the T. What does Hamoi mean? Same. What does Hamoi mean? Similar. Similar. Can we just change it to similar? Just throw a letter in there. Then we can make this thing go away. Let's just add a letter. Let's just, can we say similar substitute? Will that, will that do it? And the Aryans were like, Sounds cool to me. Just to be clear, this was a this was a politician who was saying, "Yes, do this. Okay. right." Uh, the the one of the descendants yeah. of yeah. of Constantine. Yep, a biological descendant, not just. I believe so. Okay. Yeah, not just. Uh, uh, I don't think he was the next one um, in line. The, his kingdom divides up at, I think, after Consti uh, Const Constantius. I believe it divides up after that. Because there's an east and a west. There's an emperor of the west and an emperor of the east. Uh, because remember, Constantine was moving his headquarters, or he wanted to create a new Rome in, in Constantinople. And so he actually was living in Nicaea at the time when the, con when the conference is being held, which is convenient for the Hellenic Colorado as well. Um, 
these these heroes, uh, Basil, Gregory, and Gregory, they write strongly uh, against the Arian position, and really some great uh, some great writings um, inside that position. I could have read a whole bunch tonight, but it would have taken quite a bit of time. Um, and their main goal, um, and their main goal in writing this, and Athanasius's too, is they were trying to protect the gospel. This is not just an issue of, you know, how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. They saw this. They go, wait a second. <laughs> Salvation, the gospel, is connected to our, um, their concept for it would be called theosis, the deification, like how, how we, be, we go from becoming humans to being like Christ or like God. And if you have a, a mediator who's not fully God, is he really a mediator? Does he get us all the way there? And they argue very strongly to say, this: if, if you have a mediator who's, who's, even a, 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 who's a created being who's a little lower than them, he doesn't get us all the way to God. But uh, uh, the Son of God, who is eternally the Son, who is true God of true God, who is light of light, he can. He can get us there. That's one of the things I think. So I understand that this is not the implication that they would have been arguing for. What about the other guys? So Arius and Nomius, what is, what is there for them to gain theologically, personally, whatever, for, for pushing this, this contrary position? Is it something other than just being contrarian? Or do they have like a, a, a something to gain, I guess, from that? Yeah. Yeah, good question. I don't other than that was just their conviction of what their their readings of a reading of the scripture was. So what is the theological implication of their position? I mean I understand the other side. What would they have been saying? We need this to be true because Oh uh, yes, because uh yes, great question. Because then that uh they would say it's starting to, to go revert back to paganism because then you have two gods. Okay, okay. Yeah, so good question. It, it, that was one of the accusations that go, that sounds a little pagan. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's what, that's what uh, Arias kind of said, uh, hinted out about some of Alexander's sermons. Boy, that sounds a little pagan. Does it also give way then that yeah. Jesus was a little less with the Holy Spirit and a child of God's, that then they also could be as powerful as Jesus himself. Jesus wasn't fully God then, and so there's certainly a lot of that teaching right mm, now. Yeah. So is this what that's sort of like the father of that teaching now, where Jesus wasn't really God, he was only a man who was in right relationship with God with the power of the Holy Spirit therefore I have the power of the Holy Spirit so I can be just like him and I can perform all the miracles he did and yeah. I mean, is that, maybe that wouldn't be yeah, wouldn't be like a, the NAR thing today it wouldn't be like that um, but, but it kind of dates back to the guy who said well we found the Holy Spirit in the church yeah the, the church only you chased him yeah, into a there's book. Not, there's not enough. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, again, it's 
really have your powerful thing here is that it's you, you first did it, you created. Yeah. So you've been created too. And yeah. it seems like it, it, if not then, it certainly right now traces back to that thought process that Jesus was not quite God. Yeah. That's a good question. I can't think of any example where they would teach something similar to that. Um, let me think about that. Let me think about that. So salvation depended on a mediator who actually and truly was God. And so that's why they thought they fought very hardly, hard against this sort of thing because this was uh, affecting um, affecting the gospel. Okay, so next we'll look at a couple of other uh, key figures here, and then we'll uh, I'll wrap up my talking time. We can do some um, some more talking. He had some successors. Uh, Three sixty one. He he passes away, and then this is when it gets broken up. I know it gets broken up east and west here. And Valens and Theodosius uh, are the leaders there. And here's interesting. Valens. 364 to 378, he is an Arian. He subscribes to the Arian school. Now, it's it's a little tricky to, de to determine, are these guys really believers uh, or or not? Or, or is this just because now it's, in, it's worked its way up and now it's a political issue? I don't know. Constantine ends up at the end. He was very pro-Nicene, but before he died, he... He basically sided with the Arians. So Constantine started as a pagan and, and ends as an Arian. So much for the first Christian emperor. Um, that usually gets thrown around the first Christian emperor, you know. Um, so uh, Valens is an Arian, so he sides with the Arians in these kind of debates and controversies. Um, let's see here. Uh, oh, I missed a story here. Yeah, so let's go back up to Constantine. I gotta, I gotta share this here. Um, so I'm going back a little bit because I mentioned that that Constantine actually kind of con kind of agreed to the Arian position so much. So he uh, he was influenced. So sorry to go out of order here, but go back up to Constantine. This is late in Constantine's life. He 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 goes away from the Nicene understanding to the Arian understanding. He's influenced by some of the people in his ears talking to him about. Uh, about the Arian position, and he's like, okay, well, it, it, we'll just, uh, I, I do agree with the Arian position. As a matter of fact, let me just reinstate Marius back to being presbyter in Alexandria. So he, the emperor makes a ruling. I agree with the Arian position. The Council of Nicaea didn't really solve anything. I, I'm starting to see some of their argumentations. As a matter of fact, I think I'm going to reappoint Arius to be back to being the presbyter in Alexandria. Now, uh, Alexander died. When did Alexander die? What does it say here? 328. The, um, the church in Alexandria vote to approve Athanasius as his successor. So in 328... Athanasius becomes bishop in Alexandria. 
So in the early 330s to mid 330s, when Constantine switches position and goes to the Arian position, and he says, you know what, I'm, I'm recanting a little bit, I'm going to appoint Arius presbyter in Alexandria, he's basically saying, the emperor is saying to Athanasius, you have to take your enemy as your, as your co-elder in the church. And Athanasius says, no. <laughs> Unless he agrees to homoousios. If he agrees to homoousios, fine. Totally, I'll accept him back in. Because no, he ignores the order. You, we talked about Martin Luther not too long ago on Reformation Sunday. <laughs> Looked at the emperor and said, who was just kind of the junior assistant at Nicaea, when Constantine is standing over the whole thing and he gets this order, you got to take your, your mortal heretic enemy and you have to bring him in as your colleague teaching at the school again, the job that he used to have. He goes, no, I'm ignoring the order. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, nice. And so then Constantine gets word of that. He's not happy. So he goes, okay, fine. I'm going to remove you from your bishopric and I'm going to send you into exile, okay, not excommunication, not anathematized. I'm going to send you to Germany. So he sends him to Germany. But the church decides, we're not going to vote for another bishop. He's our bishop. So he's in exile for a couple of years until Constantine dies, and then he gets to come back. They go, we have a bishop. You just sent him to Germany, but he's our bishop. <laughs> awesome. So I'm, I totally forgot that story. I should have add that in there. So anyway, so Constantine dies, Constantius comes in, then he has his successors, Valens, uh, who is an Arian, so you start to have some of that again, um, kind of working in the Arian thing, and again, this is it hasn't been resolved, and then finally Theodosius the first from 375 to 395, he is Nicene. He's Nicene. He agrees with the, the Nicene position. And so he calls an event called the Council of Constantinople. That's the last one. Council of Constantinople. Not Istanbul. Not Istanbul. Not Istanbul. Not yet. And not Constantinople. By the way, um, Basil, let me back up a little bit and talk about Basil. Basil the Great. He wrote about the Trinity. He wrote about the nature of the Son, the deity of the Son. He also is wrote the first major treatise on the Holy Spirit. And it's called On the Holy Spirit. But in Greek. <laughs> he wrote one called On the Holy Spirit. And where he basically is doing a, 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 a huge systematic theology on the third person of, of, the, of the Trinity. Because he recognized, well, the, all the issues that we're talking about, about the eternality of the Father and the eternality of the Son, relate to this other third person, too. Mm -hmm. So he writes extensively on it. So much so, even though he, um, he dies in 379, he dies a couple of years before the Council of Constantinople in 381, um, he has such influence, not only in the Christology, the understanding of who Jesus is, the Christ, the Son of God, he's also written so much on the Holy Spirit that a lot of what he taught on 
regarding the Holy Spirit gets included in the updated creed called the Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed. Ooh, so hard to say. One essence. One essence. One essence. Three flavors. Three flavors. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So, Council of Constantinople. And then let's look at the Council of the Constantinople Creed. It's sometimes, it's basically the Nicene Creed updated, okay? With a little bit more detail and more specificity added to it to resolve some of these issues. And this really becomes, and there's two more councils that we'll look at in the next couple of weeks. And those first four councils become crucial, crucial for establishing what Orthodox Christianity is uh, even to today. Um, but this, this, uh, these two councils, what started basically is like part one and then part two, 50, what, six years later? Yeah, 56 years later. Do my math. Yeah, go ahead, 56. So that's, those 56 years is like part one, part two, they're bookends to this entire controversy that goes back and forth. And this resolves, this resolves the nature of the triune God in this statement. And so what's, it's officially, excuse me, it's officially called the Nicene-Constantinopolitan Creed, but this is what we refer to as the Nicene Creed today. Okay, So um, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten <coughs> of the Father. Catch that? Yes, he's begotten, but you have to understand when he's begotten, he's eternally begotten. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Not a lesser deity, not a created deity. Begotten, not made. He was not created. Of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. See, this is that, the emphasis on the, this connected to the gospel. The true God had to come down to save man. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Anyone want to read the last paragraph there? Just remember the first one, right? And the Holy Ghost. They're going to add some more material here. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and Son, he has worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. And you can see, if you're maybe you're not familiar with it, how many were familiar with the Nicene Creed before? You came from a church tradition where you maybe read it on the Lord's Day? We did it, the Catholic Church did it every week. The Nicene Creed every week? After, or 
right after the sermon, usually. Yeah. They did that whole, you know. Not the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene? Well, it was the Apostles' Creed. But it, was it was the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, so they would call it. Yeah. Very similar to that. I'm sure they changed something that I don't see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's, it's a little, it's longer yeah. than the Apostles' Creed, usually, uh, but it's based off of it. Yeah. yeah. I think we, we said it a lot at the Lutheran Church. Yeah. David's Church, yes. they would do that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, the Nicene Creed, the, the longer one, seen and unseen, yeah. true God of true God, uh, light from light, those are all that are not in the Apostles' Creed. Because the Apostles' Creed, you could be a Sibelian. Right. The Apostles' Creed, you could be an Arian. Yeah. The Apostles' Creed came later, but it took those things out? No, the Apostles' Creed was earlier. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not much earlier. When it says Apostles' Creed, it's it's not saying that Peter and John were sitting around confessing this. Right. It was, it, it was more like the earlier fathers, like... This is um, what the Apostles taught. Ignatius and Irenaeus and stuff would say... Yes, this would be a summary of the apostles' teaching. Right. Yeah. But as these, as you see these uh, these heretics coming up and teaching things that are kind of contrary to the nature of Christ, like oh, he's a created being, and you could talk in exalted language about how Jesus is before the foundation of the world, he's the Son of God, and and you could use all of these languages, but then. You could just say, but there was a time when he wasn't. You see how that, that created kind of an issue, and so they had to add a little bit more here. So, so this this creed is kind of saying we're, we've the Apostles' Creed, as good as it is, we need to have something that clearly spells it out, even if uh, uh, an emperor uh, came up with that. There are always right. new errors that you didn't anticipate when writing a creed that you have to address. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's like the Apostles' Creed, they probably assumed the Nicene Creed. Like, but then Arius would take it and go, oh, no, they meant this. And Eunomius, like, yeah, just change their, you know, so you have to add to it and spell it out more clearly for. Yeah, the Apostles' Creed, it it came earlier. Mm -hmm. And. There wasn't a lot of consistency. There were several versions that we have, mm-hmm. um, and some have lines that the, the other ones don't have. So, like, descended into the dead, you know, that's the kind of the controversial one. That's in some, that's not in all of the versions of the Apostles' Creed. And you notice how that's not in the Nicene Creed. It's interesting. Yeah, uh, this is actually our new next sermon series, by the way. I'll just say we're going to do the Nicene Creed. So oh, nice. Any other questions? Yeah. Oh, modern equivalence. We should. Oh yeah. But I guess this is kind of a broad, along with this. When I think early church, I think martyrdom. Yes. People getting killed for what they believe. At, at this point, is that kind of tapered off, or are they still doing that? Or De- depending where you were in the world, but but once Constantine became a Christian, he put a stop to it. Yeah. So yeah, you didn't see that as much. Well, and as well, I mean, we have Theodosius on here. Is that like the, the Theodosius that wrote Christianity the Christianity to the religion? Or is that? Uh, 
You mean in our, uh, the state religion of the emperor? No. Oh, yeah, no, this would be a different tree. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have the list of uh, one historian calls Arius the arch heretic of the early church. He's, this is the big one. We've talked about some of them, but he goes, this, he's the granddaddy of them all here. Modern equivalents. Anybody have an idea what a modern equivalent of this would be? Jehovah's Witness. Exactly right. If you were to read something from the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, and look at some of Arias' letters and writings, they would be very, very similar. Some of what you would read from Arias reads like you're reading something exactly from the pamphlets that they... Well, usually the pamphlets are toned down. The pamphlets are nice. Don't you want peace in the world? You know, that, that kind of thing. So you, you're missing your, you're longing for peace? There's still peace everywhere. Did he have all the smiling people and... Lion and lamb sitting next to the river in his with the painting. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't think he had any of, of that stuff, but but the language is almost identical. Yeah. So do they like did whoever founded the Jehovah's Witnesses read his work and take from it, or is that Charles Taze Russell? Does that sound familiar? I don't. I don't. I don't recall. I don't know if he if he sat down and read Arias and wrote, ooh, that's it. Um, or if he just came up with some of that on his own. That's a good question. I'll have to come back to that one. I'll have to come back to a couple of things here. But whether he did or not, I don't know. But it's almost exactly the same. Um, how many of you have ever had an inter interaction with the with a Jehovah's Witness? Yeah? How do you, how many of you relish those conversations? No, Go <laughs> you don't relish them. What do you do when they come to the door? Hide. Yeah. My, my, yeah. My mother-in-law does that, and I was like, no. <laughs> Call me. I'll come over. <laughs> the, the one interaction I had, the guy's like, "Do you believe that um, God is punishing the world?" Oh, absolutely. He goes like, "What?" And I'm like, "Well, God's in control of everything." You know, aren't you afraid of? No, I have everything in Christ. I don't need anything else. And they're like, <laughs> like they're have a great day. They're looking for their their. They're looking for that talking like, points. Yeah, to know talking where points. Where you, you don't have any. Sorry. Yeah. You know. Yeah. They have. And I wasn't trying to be mean to that person. I was kind of like, almost like giving them the gospel, like what I know, just a simple. I have salvation through Christ. God's in control of everything. What can I do? Except for worship him. You know, I, there's nothing I can do to change anything. I mean, How long did that conversation last? About five it? minutes. And, they, and he said, have a great day. I said, you too. And they were blushing. I am like, go. And I don't know. But I think he was surprised. Yeah. But he was looking for something like, oh, yeah, it's, he's punishing us. Well, you know, there's salvation through him. He didn't have a chance to really. And they haven't come back since. But you're marked. You're, you're marked. They have marked the door. They have maps, and you're. Yeah, I'm marked off. Yep. 
because they came in our neighborhood one one time, and I was like, oh, here they are. They're going. They literally walked right past our house, and they live in there. They probably know I'm a pastor. I'm right. Um, if you get a chance to talk to Jehovah's Witness, would you would you be willing to to engage with them in conversation about this? Some other things I would re- wouldn't recommend, but this, but this one I would say, like, um, but I would say when it comes to like Jehovah's Witnesses, he does a similar book for Islam, a reasoning from the scriptures with Muslims, and he does the same thing with Mormons. He has a, a, a set of books like that, and the one on the Jehovah's Witness one is very, very good. Walks you through the main texts that they would take you to, and how to respond back to them. And maybe we can even next week, we can. Um, we could begin just a little bit. I could give you some of the couple of little little snippets from that book. So that gives you some encouragement to to be able to to talk to them the next time they come, unless you want to. I don't know if they're coming around anymore with COVID. There's oh. there's someone in near us that has. I think they just assumed our last name, so they send us literature in Spanish. Oh, but it's like the same person. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> but they, they send a letter like at least once a month, like a handwritten letter. Yeah, letters. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Spanish? Handwritten. That's <laughs> <laughs> They've never been to my house. No. Oh, that's I started getting letters like after the COVID. I think someone yeah. came to our door once. Yeah, one think, time. I think the letters started with COVID. Okay. So I don't know if they're coming around anymore. Now it's just we get a letter. Have you sent me the letters after? I have <laughs> not. Sure. But what happened? Yeah. Like let Yeah. Can we use your Bible to look at John one one? Is one of the passages that they will use. They have a translation of the Bible called the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures. Yeah. Yeah. It's not in my Bible. Yeah. You need to actually always know what's in their Bible. They're just not using the Bible. A lot. Yeah. A lot of them are fairly new and they get thrown out there and that's why they give them the talking points they coach them up on a couple of passages to go to but yes they're not 
well read on usually the whole thing. So, which means, you know, if if you understand their arguments and you bring them in and then you can show them, there, there's there's opportunity to hopefully catch some here. I wish that if you have, I would love to talk to Jehovah's Witnesses in the years since they, like I said, they avoid me. So, uh, so John chapter one. What does your translation say? I picked yours because you have all the. I'll read all of it then. Okay. <laughs> one through three. Yes, one through three. Okay. Uh, in the beginning, there was the Word. The Word was already existed, or the Word refers to Christ, God's revelation of Himself. The Word was with, in the presence of, in intimate relationship with God, who is the Father. And the Word was fully God. He was with, or in the presence of, in intimate relationship with God in the beginning. All things were made or were created or came to be by or through him, and nothing was made or came to be without him. And then it references Proverbs 8, 22 through 31. Well, that's a lot. That's, <laughs> is that hard to read if you're sitting down to read the Bible? Is it? That's why I just read like the bolded black first. Oh, gotcha. But like when I study it, then I look at like each Yes, okay. I was going to say, that'd be hard to keep track of that yeah. mentally to go around. So just redo uh, one <laughs> one slowly. And I, I did find it's the new century version is what the oh yeah the okay. bolded, like if you were just going to sit down and read, That's it's the that new version. century version. Okay, yep. So it says, in the beginning there was the Word. The, beginning was the, word. the Word was with God and the Word was God. The Word was with God and the Word was God, yes. Okay. In their versions they would say, and the Word was a God. They are the little lowercase um, indefinite article. A God. So how hard would it be to look at the Greek and show that their translation doesn't make sense? Do well, you need to be a Greek scholar to do that? Or can you, with no. basic Greek, show that? Well, their, their argument is, uh, and I forgot the name of this too, but their argument is well, to answer your question, no, you don't. You don't need to know Greek, but you would just need to know uh, basic grammar. Okay, basic just, Greek grammar. Well, Greek grammar would would help too, but that um, the well, let me think. Okay, so it says in the beginning, the word. Um, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and um, the the Word is uh, Logos. Um, uh, I think is the I think that's the God. That's basically like was was. Um, Okay, so well now I'm rethinking your, my answer. Okay, so how many of you know other languages that are okay, so uh, that have different cases, noun cases? So what give me an example. German? German, yeah, what are the cases for German? Uh, dative genitive and so it's the same nominative. I don't know. Do you know German? I don't know German. They've got fewer than Latin. Fewer They've than got Latin? Like three Latin nominative. So, so Greek has four nominative, accusative, 
dated. Um, and Isn't that Abacus dated? Well, yeah, not in Koine, maybe, but yeah. Um, Anyway, the point is, so you, without, <laughs> without getting into it too much, what that means is there's there's a there's a case that shows whether the thing is the subject or the object or the indirect object. Okay, yep. so here it's and the word is in the nominative case, and the word God is in the nominative case. They're both in the nominative case with the verb. So, um, this is, what's that called? Yes, complement, that's not the exact word. Predicate nominative? Predicate nominative, yes, exactly. And so, um, so they would say, well, the absence of the direct, of the, the direct, or the, uh, uh, the definitive article here means a God. Well, that's not the case in Greek. They're saying because there's no the, then we can assume it's a God. That's right. Yes, they would sue. That's right, but that's wrong. Right. But instead, what this really is saying is the word is God. Right. By right. by not changing to a different case. Right. It's, right. it's uh, oh, what's that called? It's 9.15, before daylight savings time. So <laughs> um, the, um, but that's basically saying equals to. God, the, the, the word is God. So you could find other examples of that same grammar throughout the New Testament in their translation and say, look how you translated it everywhere else. Exactly. Oh, but here you want to change the rules. Sorry, that's not going to fly. Correct. That's exactly correct. And I think that Ron Rhodes' book does that. Okay. He, he will take you to and show you explain this rule. I think it's called Granville Sharp's rule about the articles or something. I, I don't remember. I should, I should step up on that. But... Um, but on the way that that works. And yes, he shows you, here's other examples in your translation where the translation does exactly what the Greek does there. So the advice I've heard about talking to Jehovah's Witnesses, and that I've tried without success, but I've tried, was with 1-3, because I think they translate that basically the same way. So they're, so you don't get into the Greek, which you know neither of you usually know thoroughly, right? Correct. They, so, they don't know it either. Yeah. Yeah. So if you if you use that, like I feel like one three is pretty clear. Like there are things that were made, and without him, those things wouldn't have been. Made. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yep. I feel like that one is pretty clear. Um, and when I talked to a couple of the ladies, they just they wouldn't really answer my question about that. They didn't dispute my meaning about it. They just distracted to other yeah. points that they wanted to make. Yeah, um, but I didn't have to deal with Greek. Right, I wouldn't have understood. You don't have to because they don't, they're, unless they go and bring their superior back or something that they might know the arguments. They don't really know the Greek, but yeah. And there's other ways you could do it. And that's what I think so brilliant about Ron Rose's book is because I was like, wow, that's so brilliant. I wouldn't have ever thought that. Like he takes them in their translation to like the Book of Acts, for instance, and when it's when it's using an Old Testament passage. In the context, you read it and you go, so they're applying this Old Testament passage to Jesus. But who is that Old Testament passage speaking of? Well, Yahweh. And so you go, let's go back to the Old Testament. So that's God. And here in this passage, they use that passage about God for Jesus. 
So that it gets them into those are they can't answer some of those questions because they're like, ooh, that you're exactly right. In my own translation, it's quoting a text that's speaking of God, and they're applying it to Jesus. Now, now you got a problem because your your theology wouldn't allow that. So, so yeah, Ron Rhodes is good. so it's all English. You don't need to be a scholar or anything. You just have to know some of the connections, and so it's a it's a, it's a great resource for that. I should have brought that. Thank you. How do you spell Rhodes? R H O D E S. So you need like to start a engage Jehovah's Witness as a service business where anybody can call you and you'll be at their house within five minutes <laughs> to sit down and talk with the Jehovah. So even though they're avoiding your house, it doesn't matter because they get to talk to you anyway. Yeah. I'd like that. That actually happened in college one time. I was on campus, uh, and a friend of mine who lived just off campus, and I was talking to him, they were really distracting me. Like, I'm sorry, there's a Jehovah's Witness here. And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> they were just like, I'll be right over. And I literally ran. I think it was about a mile and a half. I was like, oh, hi. Good to meet you here. <laughs> what a coincidence. Hey, come on in. Let's talk. Yeah. Um, uh, but yes, this is, so the area of teaching, again, it's alive and well, it's out there today, and it's in the churches that don't have windows for some strange reason. I don't know, have you ever seen a kingdom hall? They don't have windows, I don't know what that's about. Hmm. You seen them? Uh, where's the nearest one? There's one here. Oh, so Burton. North of 54th and Burlingame, yeah. Drive by and there's, see if there's any windows. They don't, they most, a lot of them don't have windows. 56 and Wilson? 56 and Wilson is one. Yeah. Kind of like Masonic lodges. They're doing weird satanic rituals or something. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what the services are like here, you know. And the people who come seem kind of normal. But, but they, get, they get Jesus wrong. Get Jesus wrong. So this is really crucial. Um, so it really is an opportunity because they're they're people who are attracted to the notion of Jesus in some sense, yeah. right? Um, but they could be convinced of understanding who who his real identity is. So haven't the Jehovah's Witnesses piled lots of additional heresies on top of this? They have other weird teachings. I mean, like no blood transfusions, and they don't celebrate birthdays, and things like that, uh, which are the interesting ones that people are like, that's weird and fascinating. Or like the Mormons with the undergarments. Yeah. You know, and, um, <laughs> but like the birthdays and the blood transfusions are, yeah, who cares? I guess, it, yeah, that's what it'd be like. That, that doesn't seem like that's the real pressing issue. The real pressing issue is Jesus. Like, if you get back to talking about Jesus and who he is, things revealed in the scriptures, then, yeah. I had a Jehovah's Witness in the school choir, and I think she couldn't sing any of the songs many of them were Christmas songs because they were performing on Christmas kind of things. 
Yeah. So she was there to learn but she couldn't, you know, she was exempt from all the performances. I don't know what she did when we were rehearsing this, but uh, I think maybe she couldn't even, maybe it was just using Jesus' name too that was kind of a problem. I might be misremembering that. It might have been just the holiday. Yeah. I had a show with the National Pittsburgh Cast, and uh, we never had a holiday party. And they also always stepped up in the activities. Wait, your grandparents were Jehovah's Witnesses? No, my aunt and uncle. Oh, your aunt and uncle. So when my grandma came to town, they were here in March. They wouldn't come into the church building. Because to them, the building was the church. Oh. Like that was a congregation in there. So have you had any conversations? Myself, no. My grandparents, my aunt. Is that just like. My parents are on On the list of houses to avoid. Yep. Make the list. Yeah. Like it. Yeah. What flag do you have to fly? I don't know. They were on the list for a long time. They're not on the list for a long time, though, I think, because of my aunt and uncle. A long time. Yeah. In Mexico, that there were witnesses usually hunt for new people outside of Christian churches. Because Christians usually, you know, they, they go to a shallow level and it's easy just to grab them to, to this new thing. Oh, yeah. And I guess it's what happened then in history, you know, like all these bishops that they weren't signing, they were, you know, they knew about the Bible, but not that much. So it's just easy to grab them to their side. Yeah. And they will just hunt, they will come to our study groups. And, and they come to the, the church, yeah. the Christian church. No, not Sunday, but like on the week. Oh, yeah. Okay. They do have that a lot of the translation materials into like Spanish. Do they have inroads into the Hispanic? Inroads? Is, yeah. it a, is there a presence? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. I can't, that's actually my only encounter. Well, now that we've moved into Dora, I had one here. But previous to that one time, my encounters had only been in Mexico with Jehovah's Witnesses. Really? I ran into several. Okay, wow. Yeah. Were they knocked on your door or where friends were? We were just happened to be walking down the streets together um, and were just waiting at the bus stop. A Jehovah's Witness in you, and yeah. they started talking to you. Yeah. yeah, because they were all American. And were relieved to speak English with somebody because oh. one of their like rules for doing mission work is that they have to speak the language of the country that they're in. And one of them told me like, oh, "I'd be getting in trouble right now for speaking English to you." And I'm like, "I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> you wouldn't be doing your job well. Like, if you tried to converse with me in Spanish." <laughs> but yeah, so that was. So they were American missionaries mm -hmm. in Mexico. Wow. 
because I think they need a mentor. I can't remember, yeah, like a mentor, like the American was another guy there. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's one window. It must have been a. Very small, though, right? They took over a different they, building from and they the left inside. The they worked in from the inside. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> so, is Jehovah Witness the main one, or are there other modern equivalents? Um, there might be people who hold to this view of Jesus, but in terms of entire, like a denomination or a movement, um, the Mormons are different, they, so they don't. Their view of Jesus is a lot different than this. But but Arias's view and the Jehovah's Witnesses' view are almost identical. But in terms of other larger groups that are like it, I can't think of any. But individuals might hold to like, well, I believe Jesus is a real person or he was created or something. You know, similar. Homoousios, um, similar. But yeah, the, the one main association is usually Jehovah's Witnesses. <clears throat> Last questions? Anything? It's not a question so much as, isn't it kind of interesting that Constantine exiles Athanasius into Germany Right at the time where the Goths and the Ostrogoths and the Visigoths and everything, they were really just starting to move from east to west. And so many became Christianized. So oh, many converted yeah. to Christianity right in that time frame and continued to spread the gospel throughout all of you know present-day Germania and France and Spain and down all the way to Carthage. You know, where yeah. they, they, the Roman Empire used them to, as mercenaries and stuff, um, on the, on when it was, when the empire was split. And, but they, they didn't respect the Roman Catholic Church, which at that time was already starting to build up some things that they didn't believe in because they'd been listening to Athanasius. Yeah. That's so, so they, you know, like it just, God used that opportunity of him being exiled for a few years by saying, because he stood up and said no. And so God used that to help spread the gospel through a whole other people group. Yeah, I don't know how much uh, influence or what he had in there. I know that the, like, the, there were Christians all the way into England. You know, that's how far the Christian church had, had gone, even up, even at this time. Yeah. Um, at, he was exiled five different occasions at various other times here, you know, um, because Athanasius, he just was a stalwart. He was absolutely convinced he did not want to, um, he did not want to accommodate if it ran counter to what was the revealed truth in Scripture. He just was not going to do it. So much so, I mean, like he told the emperor, no, I'm not going to do it. Um, so he was exiled five times. I think 17 out of his 17 out of his 40-something years in, as, as a bishop were in exile. And so 
Yeah, the Lord God used that as an opportunity. I'm sure he was preaching and teaching and, and doing that locally. Yeah. Wherever he was. All right. Let me, uh, let me close. Let me close in a word of prayer. God, thank you for tonight, and um, uh, thank you for helping us to to understand this this crucial century in uh, the history of your church. God, we thank you for individuals like Alexander and Athanasius and and Basil and the two Gregories who were just so gifted by you to think and to reflect upon your scriptures and to reflect upon the nature of your son and our savior Jesus Christ and God we, we thank you for their influence and what we have today uh, 1700 uh, years later uh, we have still the document that helps to establish the boundaries of the mystery of of you and your eternal relationship with your son and with the Holy Spirit. And so, God, we pray that that even as we have this and we read on it, we reflect on it, um, that we will be encouraged by and know that this was was done, these fights were fought, uh, these riots that were handed down, that uh, riots that were had, these uh, creeds that were issued and, and handed down, that this was all done to protect your gospel and was for uh, for our salvation. And so we thank you. Uh, we thank you for that. We give you thanks and praise for, for your eternal Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's his name we pray. Amen. Two, only two more weeks. We have this.